You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you. We're going to do a three-segment podcast where we talk about three different things. In segment one, I want to uncover some data here about reps that builds off of one of the talking points I had in yesterday's podcast about studying Josh Allen and the lessons I learned from scouting him. In segment two, I want to talk about recently released NFL players and if they should be a target for the Bills to pursue. And then lastly... I want to talk about the franchise tag and if it should be an option that the Bills consider with any of their pending free agents and talk about the fifth-year option decision that the Bills are facing with Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, what that's going to cost, and all of those implications. So let's do it. First up, I want to talk about reps. In our discussion yesterday regarding Josh Allen, I talked about the lack of reps that he had entering the NFL. Only 649 career passing attempts at Wyoming. And why, given that knowledge, right, that understanding that he didn't play a ton of football in college and that he was a raw player, it should have come as no surprise that it took some time for him to develop and start to reveal those high-level flashes and deliver elite caliber play in the NFL. Right, I mean, you know year one, kind of a struggle. Year two, progress, but not necessarily a guy that you're ready to say, this is absolutely our franchise quarterback. Year three, yeah, elite caliber play. I've said it on the podcast before. I'll say it again. If the rest of Josh Allen's career resembles 2020, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, there's a lot of football left to be played. There's a lot of years that have to happen. But the the caliber of play we saw from Josh Allen in 2020 was absolutely elite. So it got me thinking about other players that the Bills drafted. And I kind of got into it on the podcast yesterday. But as soon as I got done recording that podcast and started to think to myself, I might have uncovered something here that deserves a deeper look. You know, I had mentioned that Josh Allen, Cody Ford, Dawson Knox, those players, you know, they've been slow acclimating to the NFL. And I correlated that in part to the fact that they didn't have a ton of snaps and reps under their belt at the college level. And then I compared them to Deion Dawkins and Trey White and how those guys entered the NFL a lot closer to their ceiling and, you know, really showed a lot of promise during their rookie season. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of came up up with that on a whim, just kind of as I was talking into the mic and producing that podcast, I just went with it. It came to my mind and I went with it. Well, now I've done some research and I want to share what I uncovered. Now, obviously, Josh Allen, he's the, the focal point of this conversation. He's why we're having the conversation. 649 passing attempts in college. So I have other Bills players that the Bills drafted recently, not not last year because I don't think we've learned enough about last year's draft class to really 
break it down or understand what those players are yet. But guys that they drafted in 17, 18, and 19 that we feel some sort of way about their role, whether they've entrenched themselves and become a bona fide starter with no question about it, or they're a talented player that we're interested in, but we got to start seeing those results. And I have further proven that correlation between reps and production expectations early in the player's career. So Josh Allen, 649 passing attempts. Let's talk about Cody Ford. Oklahoma, he played tackle and guard, a good mix of reps at both spots. Only 1,341 snaps in total in college. That's not a lot. Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver played 1,936 snaps. However, how many of those came as a three technique? I've said it before in this podcast, Ed Oliver played nose tackle in college. Right over the center in three-man and five-man fronts. So of his 1,936 snaps in college, which is a fair amount of snaps, don't get me wrong, but only 542 of those came at three technique, the position he's been asked to play in the NFL. Kind of interesting, right? We're starting to see this. All right. Josh Allen, 649 passing attempts. Cody Ford, 1,341 snaps, kind of split between guard and tackle. Ed Oliver, only 542 snaps as a three technique. How about Dawson Knox? Remember, high school quarterback, goes to Ole Miss. He's like the sixth or seventh option in that offense, never caught a touchdown pass, mostly a blocker, not really unleashed in the passing game at all, 1,095 snaps. So for Dawson Knox's life entering the NFL, he only played 1,095 snaps ever. And tight end is already a slow acclimating position. So when I look at those five players specifically, Allen, Ford, Oliver, Edmonds, and Knox, and I acknowledge that they played less than ideal amounts of reps in college, it should not be surprising to me that none of them reach their ceiling in year one or year two. Josh Allen certainly is close to it after three seasons, but those other guys, Ford, Oliver, Edmonds, and Knox, they have not reached their ceiling. And I put them on blast like last week when I talked about players that need to get better and the clearest path for the team to improve is those players reaching their ceiling this year. Well, it's time for that to happen, but I think you can simultaneously acknowledge that we want these players to be better than they are. They have the talent to be better than they are, but we should also be unsurprised that they came into the league quite raw, underdeveloped, and they haven't been you know, world-class superstars from day one. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin. Players that the Bills drafted that define their role on the team very early in their career and see how many snaps they played in college. So let's go back. Josh Allen, 649. Cody Ford, 1,341. Ed Oliver, 1,936, but only 542 at three technique. Tremaine Edmonds, 1,872. And Dawson Knox, 1,095. How about Deion Dawkins? Pretty quickly became the answer at left tackle. 
like had a really good rookie season. We were pretty bought in on Dawkins as the left tackle after his rookie season. How many snaps did he have? 2,633 at left tackle for Temple. How about Trey White? Arguably should have been the defensive rookie of the year back when he was drafted in 2017. We knew right away that the Bills had something special in Trey White. 2,238 snaps at LSU playing cornerback. How about Taron Johnson? I'm not saying Taron Johnson's an elite slot corner, but we knew in his rookie season that the Bills had something here, and he claimed that starting job early, and we've kind of been clinging to him as a starter in the slot over the last three seasons. I don't have the total number of snaps that he played, but I can tell you that he started for three and a half seasons at Weber State. I would guess that he has well over 2,000 snaps under his belt at cornerback in college entering the NFL. Those guys define their roles very quickly. And I think a lot of that can be credited to them coming into the NFL with plenty of experience. Now, I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all, and that if you want a guy that can help you right away, you know, look at their college snaps, and that should tell you exactly what to expect because I think there's probably plenty of other examples of guys with low reps coming in and contributing you know, at a high level right away and guys that have plenty of reps that come into the NFL and still struggle, right? I'm, I'm sure there's exceptions on both sides, but when you apply this to the Bills and you look at you know, this trajectory of these players and how they fared early in their career and, and go back and look at how many snaps they played in college, there's a correlation. I want to bring another player to the table, and that is Zay Jones. Obviously, Zay Jones did not work out for the Bills. But he played 2,599 snaps in college. So what that tells me is that based on the limited sample size that the Bills had with Zay Jones, that that information coupled with the fact that he came into the NFL so experienced, it gave them everything they needed to know to understand that he was never going to reach the ceiling they hoped he would achieve. And therefore, they could trade him with a level of confidence that, hey, we're not really missing out on much here because we know who he's been in the NFL and he has a large resume of of snaps under his belt in the college level. That opportunity for him to really become a different player or take a step is unlikely. So I think there is something to this. You know, I don't know all the possibilities with it, but I've been able to uncover this and I think there's a correlation that matters. And it's something that, you know, I'll be interested to apply this information to the 2020 draft class. And, you know, we can look at it in a few years and see how guys acclimate and see if there's a correlation to reps. But I think I got something here that um, will help us have the right expectations for players early in their career that the Bills draft. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet online has you covered on all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. Bet online, 
your online sportsbook experts. Without fail, every time a player is released in the NFL, Bill's Twitter talks about whether or not the Bills should pursue that player. Every time. And it's really fun. I really enjoy those discussions. I do think that there's a large percentage of Bill's Twitter and Bill's fans that can see a path and kind of want that player every time. And there's a certain section of Bill's Twitter and Bill's fans that are like, no, like these players are released for a reason and you know the Bills don't really have cap space and I don't really want that. But nonetheless, it's good discussion and it's something I know everybody seems to care about. So what I have is a long list of players that have recently been released by NFL teams and I'm going to assess whether or not the Bills should make an attempt to sign that player, and if they did, how would they fit? We'll keep it moving quick here. We got a lot of players to get to, but um, I want to just kind of answer that question based on this growing list of players that have been released and answer that question from the Bills lens. Should the Bills pursue them? Now, uh, I do have a disclaimer here. I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon. I am in Miami on Thursday and Friday for the House of Athletes Combine and uh, I'll be tied up with that. So I had to record this Friday episode in advance. So if somebody major gets released, you know, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, I'm not going to get to them in this podcast because I had to pre-record it. So with that out of the way, one other disclaimer, we have to remember that any idea that we have for the Bills to add a player, they literally don't have any cap space right now. None. And we have to keep in mind that there's no cap space and the Bills need a starting right tackle a right guard, a backup quarterback, a kick returner, a CB2, a weak side linebacker, and we all hope that the pass rush improves. So <laughs> you've got to keep that perspective when you start pounding the table and say, I want the Bills to get this player. Well, yeah, we all know that there's moves that the Bills can make to restructure deals, let players go, all of that that can help create some level of cap space. But before you even talk about these other players, you have a lot of situations on the roster that you have to figure out. So (laughs) I kind of have no other choice but to go at this from that perspective of, well, there's not really the the room to add this player, but, right? I'm not getting into the how, right? That's that's Brandon Bean's problem. The how is Brandon Bean's problem. Uh, Today for this experiment, I want to talk about you know, should they? Like, if if the dollars were very, very low, if this player would come for a minimum contract, should the Bills explore that? And that's kind of the lens that I'm looking through each one of these options as. So let's start with Dolphins linebacker Kyle Van Noy. A very surprising release to many because he signed like a four-year, $51 million deal last offseason. He only lasted one year. He was a pretty good player for them. He was a team captain, a leader. Um, but only lasted one season, and to the Dolphins' credit, they structured that deal very wisely that set themselves up to be able to get out of the contract. So they freed up a bunch of cap space, but obviously they you know, take some heat for signing the guy to a four-year deal um, and letting him go after one season. However, you know, I, I think it's a worthwhile move for them to gain that cap space and move on from an aging player. Kyle Van Noy, as it relates to the Bills, you know, I can see him doing a lot of the stuff that um, Lorenzo Alexander did because he gives you that off ball ability, that pass rush ability as well. 
But the Bills really need a weak side linebacker. If Matt Milano goes, they're in trouble when it comes to having that guy that can play in coverage and play in space and thrive. Kyle Van Noy doesn't solve that problem. So if you can get him on a minimum deal to play Sam linebacker and rush a little bit, sure. But paying him what I think he wants and what he's going to get and teams are going to view him as like a a full-time player, I don't think the Bills are going to be in the market to compete with that type of salary. Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph's a good football player. He's a good blocker, a steady receiver. Not a very dynamic athlete, never has been. But I think he'd be really good for the offense in terms of adding depth and adding, adding some consistency at tight end, and I'm sure he'd be great for Dawson Knox. However, you know, if he's thinking he's going to get five, six, seven, eight million dollars, the Bills can't really justify bringing him in uh, to the equation. So if he wants to come on a minimum deal, be part of a, a team that's contending, develop Dawson Knox, sure, but you can't break the bank for Kyle Rudolph. Next up is Jets defensive lineman Henry Anderson, and that's going to be a no from me, dog. Heck no. That dude is dirty. He ruined the career of Steven Hauschka. He's taking cheap shots at Josh Allen. I've got no time for him. Hard pass. Texans running back Duke Johnson. Man, I think Duke would be great for the backfield. Really good receiving back. Gives you some juice out of the backfield. I think he'd be perfect to come in and be an RB2 in Buffalo. If he'll take a, a low contract, I'd love to have Duke Johnson. I think he's a really good pass catcher that would add that layer to the Bills' offense that I would really, really like. Texans center Nick Martin. You know, the Bills have some questions when it comes to depth on the interior offensive line. Uh, you know, if John Feliciano's not back, you kind of have Cody Ford and Ike Bakker as your options at guard. Um, you'd like to have a versatile player like Martin that can play some guard and center. Again, a minimum contract to come in and provide depth on the interior. I can get behind that. Broncos defensive tackle, Jarrell Casey. I love Jarrell Casey at Tennessee, and I could not believe that they traded him for like a seventh-round pick just to get out of his deal and send him to Denver. But then he played pretty good for Denver, but only lasted like two or three games. He got injured. You know, he's aging uh, in his early 30s. Uh, I still think he's got good football left in him, but – I'm sure he's going to want to get a nice payday, and I don't think the Bills can give that to him. But again, veteran minimum type situation, come play for a contender. I'd love to have Jarrell Casey. Uh, Raiders wide receiver Tyrell Williams. That did not work out with the Raiders. Remember, he was somebody we thought about for the Bills when he was a free agent coming out of the Chargers, and um, some people wanted him. I'm glad the Bills didn't pull the trigger there because he's been a bust for the Raiders, got paid a bunch of money, has not really produced uh, gives you size and ball skills down the field, but I don't think he gives you anything that you don't already get in Gabriel Davis, so he'd be a pass for me. Packers linebacker Christian Kirksey. I think he could be a weak side linebacker for this defense. Um, obviously familiar with Micah Hyde from their time together at Iowa, and I feel like he's tight with Jordan Poyer as well. And the Bills visited with Kirksey last offseason, and then he wound up signing with the Packers, and then shortly after that, the Bills signed uh, A.J. Klein. Now, Kirksey's got an extensive injury history to be mindful of, but if he could be healthy, I'd love to have him at weak side linebacker on a very minimal deal. Uh, Packers offensive tackle Rick Wagner. The Bills do need a veteran swing tackle that they can trust to step in at either spot. I would sign him to do that. I would not sign him to be my starting right tackle. He really struggled for Green Bay this past year. And so uh, I have my doubts there, but
But if you tell me he's the swing tackle, the backup on a minimum deal, I can get behind it. Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson. This dude hasn't been healthy in a while, huh? He's aging. You still see those flashes of vertical receiving ability, and maybe he would have some interest in coming to Buffalo to provide that type of dynamic to the offense, let's say if they move on from John Brown. But I just don't know that you can look at Deshaun Jackson's recent history and feel comfortable that he's going to be available and reliable to help you as that field stretcher with any level of consistency. So again, minimum deal, sure, I can get behind it, but I'm far from pounding the table for Brandon Bean to go hard after Deshaun Jackson. Falcon safety Ricardo Allen, uh, that's a pass for me. Um, I think he's a reasonable player. Somebody might sign him to a modest deal to get uh, get by a year at safety and have him start, but I don't know that the Bills can really justify adding salary at the safety position. Falcons also released defensive end Allen Bailey. I think he's really redundant in the Bills' defense. I don't think he is a better player than Mario Addison. Um, kind of gives you some of the stuff you already get from A.J. Epinesa. I would not uh, jam up my defensive end rotation by bringing in Allen Bailey. I think he's a good base end, but I don't think he's an upgrade, and I wouldn't pay him. Panthers defensive tackle Kawan Short. Man, prime Kawan Short was a friggin' good player, but he signed that big five-year, $80 million deal back in April of 2017, and he was awesome in 2017 and 2018, but he's only played five games in 2019 and 2020 combined. He just can't stay healthy right now. So if you get him on a cheap deal, sure, but I don't think you can count on him to come in and be a major part of your rotation. But you know, if he wants to come play for a contender, reunite with some of his buddies in Carolina, not get paid a whole bunch of money, come on down, Kawan. Saints offensive lineman Nick Easton. Um, I'd apply everything I said about Nick Martin and, you know, copy-paste it to Nick Easton, a versatile interior backup. Uh, but, you know, I don't – he's not a starter, and I think the Bills do have a need for interior depth. So if he was fine with a role like that on a minimum deal, I could get behind it. And the last one we'll mention today is Broncos cornerback A.J. Bouye. Bouye was really good for the Jaguars, and I thought he was a really good fit scheme-wise for a Vic Fangio defense in Denver. You know Fangio loves – press corners, guys that can get up in the face of guys at the line of scrimmage and disrupt routes. And Bouye can do that, but um, you know he's been injured and inconsistent. So as far as the Bills go, I mean, if you're looking for a veteran depth piece at cornerback, sure, I can get behind him, but I wouldn't have a high level of confidence saying that he's the guy that the Bills should target to be the starter opposite of Tredavious White. And I don't think that he gives you that man coverage versatility that I hope the Bills value in whoever they bring in to be the guy opposite of Tredavious White. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? 
Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. The last thing I want to get to today on the podcast is whether or not the Bills should consider the franchise tag for any of their upcoming free agents. Also, I want to talk about fifth-year options because the Bills have a decision to make when it comes to Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds and picking up their fifth-year option. So let's do franchise tags first. The only players that it would make any sense for the Bills to franchise tag is Matt Milano, Daryl Williams, and John Feliciano. And I think I've said this before several times, but I want to say it again. To me, the highest priority free agent for the Bills is Daryl Williams. That's the guy they should most value bringing back and signing. Two reasons. Number one, protecting Josh Allen should always be a very high priority for the Bills. Number two, the Bills really haven't gotten the right tackle situation figured out in a long, long time. I mean, they've had different primary starters so, so frequently. 2020, Daryl Williams. 2019, Cody Ford. Talking primary starters or right tackle. Then they had Jordan Mills from 16, 17, and 18. Sontrell Henderson in 14 and 15. Eric Pierce in 11, 12, and 13. Mansfield Roto in 10. Kirk Chambers in 9. Langston Walker in 2007 and 8. Terrence Pennington in 2006. Jason Peters in 2005. Mike Williams for three seasons. And then you go back to like Jonas Jennings, Marcus Spriggs, Robert Hicks, Jerry Ostrowski. It's like they've never been able to get a guy that can just be a fixture there at right tackle. And I don't know that Daryl Williams is a guy that for the next like five years he's going to man the spot. But I think he can for two or three. And I'd like to have that solidified. Because if you have your tackles figured out, in Dawkins and in Williams, the interior stuff is a lot easier to settle out. So I just want to put right tackle at ease for a while. And they can do that by extending Daryl Williams. However, I don't think the Bills should apply the franchise tag to anybody. The cost to franchise tag Matt Milano would be $15.6 million in 2021. So literally, this is as clean and as easy as NFL contracts get. It's exactly $15.6 million in cap space. There's no way to structure the deal or maneuver the money in any way other than it costs $15.6 million against the cap next year if you put the franchise tag on Matt Milano. Daryl Williams and John Feliciano, it would be $14.5 million, which... 14.5 is about three times as much as I'd be willing to give John Feliciano. And Daryl Williams, that's probably five more than I hope the Bills signed for Williams. Plus, I want a longer-term deal to kind of spread the money out a little bit more. I just don't think the franchise tag is a viable option for any of the Bills' free agents. Now, when it comes to the fifth-year options, the Bills have a decision to make on Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. And the deadline to make this decision is not until May, but I want to talk about it now. Should they pick up the fifth-year option on Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds? 
Now, the new CBA has changed the terms for exercising a fifth-year option on players drafted in the first round, starting with 2018. Under the old rules, it was about you know where you were drafted, and that was about it. And plus, it wasn't guaranteed money. You know, guys could they could pick up the fifth year option on a player, and then you could cut them. Now, when you pick up the fifth year option on a player, the amount of money that it costs for that fifth year is contingent on playing time, whether they've reached certain amount of snap thresholds, if they've been a pro bowler or not, like there's a lot of different layers to it that dictates the amount of money that it costs to keep them for that fifth season. Also, whenever you pick up that fifth year option, the fourth year of the contract and the fifth year is fully guaranteed. Fully guaranteed. Fourth year and fifth year. So that's just another layer that you have to keep in mind when you're making this choice. So let's start with Josh Allen. If the Bills pick up his fifth-year option, they're committing to paying Josh Allen $21.75 million in 2022 and fully guaranteeing his money in 2021. No-brainer. Obvious. Pick it up. If nothing else, you buy more time to gain information on Josh Allen And whenever you extend him, which I think will be this offseason, you can add that extension onto this, just like they did with Tredavious White. So I fully expect the Bills to pick up that option. They should pick up that option. $21.75 million is about half of what I'm sure Josh Allen's going to be making in 2023. So enjoy that low-cost quarterback while you still can. But picking up Josh Allen's fifth-year option is absolutely a no-brainer. Predictively, and should they do it, is emphatically yes. Now, Tremaine Edmonds might be a little bit more challenging of a conversation. On one hand, you could say, you know what, Tremaine, we really like you, and we think you have a lot of potential, but we need to see a higher level of play out of you before we commit more to you. And just because you don't pick up the option doesn't mean that you can't extend the player. It also doesn't mean that you can't apply the franchise tag to the player. So let's say the Bills choose not to apply the fifth-year option to Tremaine Edmonds, and he becomes an absolute superstar this year and reaches his ceiling. You can still either A, sign him to a long-term extension, or B, apply the franchise tag to him. And the difference in cost is really not that much. I know that there should be a level of disappointment for everyone with Tremaine Edmonds to this point. I want him to be a better player, and you've heard me talk about that several times so far on the podcast this offseason. There's a big part of me that lives in great fear that if the Bills give up on Tremaine Edmonds, he is going to be an absolute superstar for some other team. Predictively, I don't think the Bills are close to giving up on Tremaine Edmonds. I don't. I think they love him. You kind of hear some of those sound bites of like mic'd up stuff, and it feels like Sean McDermott's always talking up Tremaine Edmonds. I think he really likes him. 
I don't think there's really a chance that Tremaine Edmonds doesn't stick around for a while. I don't think they're close to giving up on him. But I do think it's a worthwhile discussion to have in terms of not picking up the fifth-year option and using it as a motivational tool to light a fire under Tremaine Edmonds for him to come into his own. The Denver Broncos did this with Garrett Bowles. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option, and he had a great season this past year, and then they signed him to a long-term extension. Like There's a, there's a, a history that you can point to of this happening. So I think it's worth discussing. With that said, I think the Bills will pick up this fifth-year option, which will cost them uh, $13.4 million. That's how much his fifth-year option is going to cost. Fully guaranteed $13.4 million for 2022. And then you can use the next two years to evaluate his play and make a decision on a long-term extension for Edmonds following the 2022 season after you've had 2021 and 2022 to evaluate. That's what I would do, but I do think it's, again, a worthwhile discussion about using it as a motivational tool. Now, one other quick note here on this fifth-year option stuff. I mentioned that Pro Bowls were part of what plays into that cost. So because... Tremaine Edmonds and Josh Allen were both original ballot Pro Bowl selections for the first time in 2020. I know that Edmonds was a Pro Bowler in 19, but it was as an alternate. And for the sake of the fifth-year option, that doesn't matter. You have to be an original Pro Bowl selection. It earned each of them three more million dollars on the fifth-year option. So because those guys made the Pro Bowl, it cost the Bills six million in combined cap space for Edmonds and Allen in 2022 because that escalated their fifth-year option by $3 million each. So just a little nugget there. We say Pro Bowls don't matter. Well, they do, especially for rookies because if you're a first-round pick rookie and you're an original Pro Bowl ballot selection, looking at about all of the positions, it's a difference of about $3 million in what you get paid on that fifth-year uh, versus not having made the Pro Bowl. Now, if you make two Pro Bowls, you are cooking. You are making some big-time cash. You're making like an extra uh, you know, 4 $5 million compared to not making the Pro Bowl. So these Pro Bowls for these first-round picks makes a big, big difference in uh, the paydays that are coming for them. All right, folks, that'll do it for us today here on the podcast, for us this week on the podcast. I certainly hope that you enjoyed. I certainly had a fun time talking bills with you. Uh, Monday through Friday this week, as I do each week. So don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed. Next week, we're going to get into free agency, right? It's the week before the new league year starts. And so free agent situations, we're going to dig heavily into. We'll do some interactive stuff that gets into some free agent discussion. So a lot of that is coming your way next week. Don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again on Monday.